0: Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Revely. What a show I have for you. I'm so excited because today's guest is usually the interviewer. My gosh, she is an award-winning, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, author, speaker. She has just traveled the world interviewing nearly a thousand. Yes, I said a thousand Hollywood royalties ranging from legendaries like Jimmy Stewart. And Jack Lemmon to Merle Streep and Clint Eastwood, and maybe a little bit names that you might be more familiar with are those like Sandra Bullock and even Tom Hanks. Yes, she has sat on my side of the chair and had an opportunity to do very in-depth interviews with celebrities all over the world. And let me tell you, not only is she just an amazing woman, but she has hosted four, yes, four shows of her own. She has won an Emmy as a show host. She has, she's just an amazing woman. She too also has a book out that shares some of her memories about some of the interviews that she has done. And she's chronicled this in a personal memoir. It's called Nearly Famous, Tales from the Hollywood Trenches. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce to you Reba Merle. Welcome to the show, Reba.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I am so excited because you are an absolutely amazing woman who has just done it all, touched the lives of so many people, and then also been the person to bring out the lives of so many that nobody thought they could touch. You never thought you'd be able to get to know people. Tell me a little bit how you got started. What was your journey into where you are now?
1: It's an interesting story and I won't go all the way back, but I'll go back to my television days. I had always done commercials because my husband who worked in computers, they used to move us every two years. And every two years, I would start over in another city, and I would go out and do commercials. Mm-hmm. And when we ended up moving from London to Los Angeles to Phoenix, Arizona, I said to my husband, I think I'll go out and get some, start doing commercials again. And he said, fine. And I got a commercial within weeks, because they're always looking for a new face. And I did the commercial, and I came home, and I said, they made me sound stupid. Now it's an interesting time because it's the 70s, and women were speaking out, like before. I don't want to come across as, as some cutesy being stupid. That's how I felt. So I announced at the dinner table that I would go get a talk show and be responsible for my own words. And once the laughter died down, I actually did. Uh, there were only five television stations at the time in 19... 19- 72 slash three because it took me a while we didn't get back from london until 1972 so it's on the heavy side of 73 and uh, um every television general manager or program director that i met gave me all kinds of advice and i decided to take it but nobody wanted me i was really surprised so what did i do i put together a program for Remember, Phoenix was a convention center, so it was easy to get uh, speaking jobs for women's groups at conventions Okay. or country clubs, either one. And I put together a program called Here's Egg on Your Face. And I wore all my designer clothes from London and ended the program by putting egg on my face. And they were all homemade skincare recipes that I got from my very fancy neighbors in London who didn't buy creams like Americans did. And when I, I love had it. a fancy neighbor, she was the mistress of a Greek ship owner. <laughs> Pretty fancy. okay? I so, love it. And so the thing is that, w- then I went and told the, the newspapers that I was doing this. And I was really, and I have to tell you lucky, is that the <clears throat> fashion editor of the, Uh, Republic. I think it was the Phoenix Republic. It's a big, whatever the biggest paper was, because it's been a while since I've been there, decided that she really liked me and did all kinds of write-ups. And every time I did something, she wrote about me. And then I just kept going back to those television men. And soon it whittled down to only one. And he said something interesting to me. He said, not yet. I don't know if you've ever looked at a yet, if you look yes. at it, it's a Y-E-T. And I realized I could bump that T and put an S in. That's and- right. That's right.
0: It is not a no.
1: It is not a no. And so I drove him crazy once a week <laughs> for nearly a year. <laughs> but And I can't believe that I did it. But I just kept going back. And he kept saying, not yet. And I figured, okay. And the truth of the matter is, I don't know this. What I tell you is what the truth is. The truth is the National Organization for Women were going to picket the station because they did not have one woman on the air in 1973. Now, he didn't tell me that. He said, I will hire you for four weeks. Okay. Which he did, but he watched my first interview. I asked him, Mr. Burton Liddell, there are some men you remember. I asked him if I could uh, do an interview on tape before the show started, which was not going to, it was, uh, it was about two weeks before the show was actually going to start, but the set was up. And he said, yes, and I interviewed Francois Gillot. I will tell you who she is, or maybe I should just tell you my first question. I read her book yes. and she gave me all the answers. And I said to her, you have slept with two of the most famous men of the 20th century, and you're French. Are you good in the kitchen? And you know, did! I don't know if you're aware of how French women laugh, but it's very haughty. <laughs> of course not. The truth of the matter is, the two men, she was Pablo Picasso's mistress, and when I sat down with her, she was married to Jonas Salk the polio vaccine
0: oh wow this is amazing
1: <laughs> after that interview he hired me for eight weeks and the truth of the matter is i stayed for nearly three years and i learned i learned how to mm-hmm. do a talk show i figured if i just had a clipboard i could do it and and asked incredible questions because i always loved to do research and mm-hmm. research has been my ally in everything i've done but interestingly enough about Phoenix, one of the guests I had very early into the run of the of the show, which was called Reba, how clever of them, it was only on once a week. And I was being paid $25 for that show. Uh-huh. I, I was working on television. But one of the guests that came was Hugh Downs. His, that he was doing 2020 with Barbara Walters, But that wasn't until Friday. So on Saturday, he would fly to Phoenix and stay until Thursday. Okay. I had him for Wednesday, and he came in. And I had these incredible questions because I had just read everything about him. And all of a sudden, I didn't think he was giving me incredible answers to my incredible questions. So I put down my famous clipboard, and I said, teach me how to interview. And he did. This is fantastic. And
0: you have carried this with you everywhere. All of the things that you've learned, you have an Emmy from this, not only that, but your, all of your interviews have now, um, become digitized or being digitized. It's airing your, your interviews are being aired on night flight every Friday night. Um, this is, this is huge. And, i don't know of anyone reba that with all of the things that they have done in journalism has reached what
1: you have done well i reached it in a very strange way and i'll tell you why Uh, from that show on abc in phoenix it was once a week then they gave me five days a week and then they replaced me by black and white cartoons because i was too expensive so i get it. (laughs) <laughs> I, get, yeah. I get a job, I get offered a television show in San Diego, and it was probably the biggest thing I had ever done in my life, because my husband said to me, you can't take it. And I said, you don't own me. Uh-huh. And I took the show. and And I thought I was doing a really good job, because my son, first of all, I had a housekeeper, my son's best friend lived next door. We had a big swimming pool. I didn't want to uproot him. And I also uh-huh. thought that he would be better off getting close to his father because I was the carpooler. I mean, because I worked in television, it didn't mean that I stopped being the mother. I cooked dinners every night. I carpooled. But I was doing a morning show you know, from 8 to 9 after Good Morning America because we were Good Morning America Live. From, and so... I took the show in San Diego, and it really taught me a great deal. And the first thing that I got to do, which I had never done in Arizona, is that they sent me to Hollywood to do a movie star interview. Up until then, the movie stars came to our show. There was a reason that we had a lot of movie stars. Okay. They let the movie stars come in and practice on our show before they sent them to the today show or the tonight show in new york i see okay this is the late 70s and so i go up to la actually all first class very nice uh, working for 20th century fox for that weekend and i do the interview on the for the first time and it was scary because it wasn't my home base but i did it yes and i know sooner get through with the interview when the rep from 20th century fox says would you please stay overnight and screen another film and do some more interviews? And she kind of begged and I said, oh, okay. And so I went to see the movie that night and I didn't like it. I thought it was a kid's movie. I never heard of the actors that were having mm-hmm. the interview and I had no research, only what the studio gave me in their production notes. And so I sat down with Mark Hamill Carrie Fisher and this guy named Harrison Ford were the film Star Wars. This is how strange life is, Rebecca. Those interviews had no right to, to survive from that length of time. They were shot on film. Okay. which was very different. So I came back to my show. I gave it to my director. He converted it to video, gave me back the tins, and I packed it away in a grocery bag. 20 years later, only one interview survived, and that was Harrison Ford.
0: (laughs) That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I noticed you haven't looked at your watch to see if I'm boring you, but that's what I did. He was so boring. Good looking. You're kidding me. (laughs) You're kidding me. I wouldn't expect that at all. I did something I've never done on an interview. I looked at my watch. You did. Because I was bored. I I make up for it. I do interview him again a few times. I mean, quite a few times. When I come to Hollywood, I do interview him again for Air Force One. And both of us were different. I was totally polished by that. So I know what you want to know is how did I get to Hollywood? Because that's what everybody asks me. And it's very simple. The CBS show that I was working on that I loved and would have spent the rest of my life doing fires me for my age and told me that i was too old to be on television they were the best words in reality that they could have done because they hadn't told me that i had to look at my options how could i still do interviews and grow old and no one would know that i'm growing old
0: well reba i think this is during a time too when it was not with affirmative action the way it is now.
1: No, there were, what I'm going to tell. First of all, I I really could have sued. I have to tell you that. But everybody that sues on the local station, they might win the first round, but I wasn't working for a simple television station. I was working for a group of television stations and this happened to be just one that they owned. And what happens is that most of the women that had sued before me lost on appeal. Uh huh. decided I would become a blonde instead, had a little face work done, and started over. Well, and when
0: people do that, and I and I don't mean to downplay this in any way, when you're standing up for your rights, you end up sometimes ostracizing yourself from whatever... Uh, profession or whatever you're shooting after, because people are afraid of you after that. So I understand so what I you're see- saying. I zipped yeah. it. That's it. And a lot of women have done that in a lot of different arenas, simply because they don't want that or they don't want the stigma coming along with that. So this is amazing what you've done.
1: Well, it wasn't sex. Okay, it wasn't no. The women that that get hit on. And, and, that, and I know what that feels like, because when I get to LA, that's the first thing that happened to me. I'm 47 years old. The first job interview, which I would have been so grateful to get at a major, major studio, which maybe I shouldn't give a name yet. Um, he said, he looked at my interviews from CBS, and he said to me, I can give you all the interview work you can handle. He said "And all you have to do is... Should I say what he exactly said? Oh, well, there's no bad words. It's just a position. <laughs> he said, "Oh no, to, you have to go down on me three times a week." He did not. But the truth of the matter is, I thought it was a joke. I didn't think people talk like that. I laughed. And I figured that was it. I figured my laughter was the answer. And he called a week later and said, what are you planning on working at? And it's Fox, at Fox. And I knew that it was the code word for sex. And I said, no, thank you. He black Mm -hmm. me for eight years. I never worked at Fox for eight years.
0: What a challenge though, because trying to break in without breaking your morals is tough for a lot of people because they really are striving and a lot of people compromise that and you didn't and look at what you have done. You are such a successful journalist and you've done more because you're known for your work in other arenas, aside from interviews, your work for a ransom, um, a lot of other work. You've got what 31 credits to your name with things that you've done in Hollywood. In addition,
1: I do, You can see, I never look at what I've done. (laughs) I don't. I I didn't even know how many interviews I had done I'm working on a new book. And it was really based on, we're going to actually show the transcriptions of these interviews, including the 1977 one with Harrison Ford. And so the truth of the matter is that when the publisher said to me, how many interviews do you have? I didn't know. And then I came back and I told him. And he said, pick, 30. And, of course, like a mother, I picked 44 <laughs> because I couldn't let go. I like this one. No, I like this one. So, I love it. So the two Harrison Fords will be in, my two favorite. Uh, but the thing is that don't paint me as a, an angel, okay, because I'm not. No. Very, very difficult in the 80s in Hollywood. Women had power, and the few women that were working didn't want to share their power with another woman. I'm very grateful that it was men that helped me, and it was split between gay men and straight men. Mm -hmm. They they didn't feel threatened by me. The women did. I don't know why. This is all I wanted to do. I didn't. You know, Reba, I think in some ways that still holds true,
0: especially women that are in male-dominated positions. professions. Whoa, where did that come from? And so um, I do think that that still holds true. Um, But again, you still rose to become so good at what you did. You became syndicated in 60 countries with what you, you...
1: It's because of what I created, not the interviews. It's the concept that I created, which I owe to CBS for telling me I was too old. Interesting. This is what I did, and this is what made me nearly famous. I would get the interview from the studio. The studio would pay me and set up the time. I would put together the production crew. I would put together the editing, and I would deliver a three-minute package. But the the three-minute package had a deal attached to it. Two okay uh, with American stations. First, is that they had to front the interview, not cut themselves in. They had to say, Recently, we caught up with Meryl Streep, recently, we caught up with Harrison Ford, whatever the name was.
0: I see. Okay,
1: their voice where mine was. They had to promote it. They would offer exclusivity, and in exchange, they had a guarantee that they would run. This three-minute package. No one had thought to do that. So what I was guaranteeing to the studios was airplay. Not buying commercials, but getting three minutes of a commercial pitch. And that's what made me nearly famous. <laughs> I was a secret for four years. No Studios did not want anybody to know what I was doing. And a, and a journalist and in the, on the wrote for the Washington Post, happened to be in Philadelphia. And she saw my interview with um, Tom Cruise for Rain Man. And then she saw the same one in Washington and went to a lot of trouble to find me. And then I, when she did, I said, I have to go to a meeting. I'll call you back. Because I didn't know if the studios would let me talk. But they did. Uh-huh. And this is what changes my life.
0: Well, Reba, you, that was ingenious because, and I really want to impress this upon the audience, is that when setbacks occur or when there's challenges that come and they are devastating to you, they affect your psyche or they hurt you emotionally, you have to take that and it be use that ingenuity to launch you to a different place so that you can reach dreams that you never even thought were achievable or surpass them. And so that's exactly what you did. And you are doing some things now even that I don't think anybody, maybe even you didn't expect. I mean, when you look back on things Reba and you're looking at all of your interviews being digitized and you're on the app the official hollywood walk of fame app your your interviews are coming out every week on friday night you have a book coming out with your memoirs you're like i said you're being digital Digitalized. You have an Emmy sitting up there on your wall. It's not only that, you've accepted it, you've been able to feel it, and you look back and you have all of these things. You made strides for women in the entertainment industry and amongst other professions that maybe you didn't even have any idea that you touched. In addition to all of this, you're still on the leadership council for the AIDS Project in Los Angeles, and oftentimes, we're only focused on ourselves and you're thinking about what's happening in your own community. You're not just, you're not just focused on you. You're out with outreach in addition to all of these other things. This is, this is quite an amazing thing. You're, you're an absolutely amazing and very profound woman. I I just can't even begin to think about how you, you say the things, you share the things, I see the things, but internally I can't even imagine what you have gone through to get where you're at.
1: Well, I do think what I have to say is that um, rejection or loss is, is not as terrible. I mean, the initial shock is terrible. I know the initial shock when they fired me from the Phoenix five-day-a-week show, I figured I would never work again. It got a lot easier when they fired me from CBS. And then I did another show for, where I won the Emmy was for Cops Cable. And they fired me too. They fired me for my mouth, okay? They didn't fire me for my age. I don't think they cared. And then after that, six weeks later, I win an Emmy for the guy who fired me. But the truth of the matter is, it isn't that. Looking back, it was that I was 47 years old. And nobody wanted me. I'd had 18 rejections and I had been fired from every television show. But this is how I looked at it. I knew I was a good interviewer. That's all I could do well. I'm not gonna lie and say I can cook and I can dance and I can, I can't. I'm a good interviewer. How could I take the one skill that I know I could do and figure out how to market it or earn a living or use it, whatever word you want to put into this end And the truth of the matter is it was coming up with never seeing me ever again and doing all the work. Mm-hmm. And I think it, um, I knew it was going to work. I knew it was going to work because I had been, had done enough local television to know that all these shows don't always get a one-on-one interview with a movie star even though they were promoting their film. And so it was the access because I was in Los Angeles and it was what I knew about local television and I put it together. So I knew if if I got a chance to get to the right people that this would work. Getting to the right people was a story in itself. I called every studio, every studio that kissed the ring because I was working for CBS, wouldn't even return my calls. Okay. But I refused to give up. I kept networking and networking. And there's the next thing I learned. You don't have to, buy, you don't have to pay a lot of money to go to these big fancy um, conferences hoping to meet somebody. I went to every free thing that was offered out here in what I was looking for, anything that they offered. And I just kept meeting people. And eventually somebody said to me, when I said, this is what I want to do, um, said, you know, I'm going to take you to a man that might be able to help you. And he did. Uh, I worked for Andy Keene on three movies. Um, I worked on The Natural with Robert Redford. I worked on Harry and Son with Paul Newman. And I worked on The Stick with Burt Reynolds. You have to understand something. This is coming off of Nobody wanting Me. (laughs) But he let me prove that my television network that I had put together of the 55 stations were willing to take my interviews and front them and promote them and do exactly what I asked them to do. And that was the beginning. And once I had something to show, then I went back to, I went back to, Universal. I never went to Universal. I, then I actually got a meeting at Universal with a woman who did not feel threatened because she had been on my television show on CBS in San Diego. And she said, you were very nice to me. And she gives me a movie and I'm going to say this. And the rest was history. The minute she gave me a movie and said, you can't come back. If you fail, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to fail. I had been waiting. And there's the third part that I learned. If you get the chance, you have to have 110% of you into that chance.
0: Yes, yes,
1: that is so true. So let me
0: ask you from where you're sitting now, is it feel different to you compared to all of the interviews that you've done for all of these years?
1: That's such a funny question. I don't have butterflies. <laughs> I always had a little butterfly before I sat down with anybody. Well, I was going to say, or I was very dry, which is why I have something to drink on your nickel. I love it. It's, it's just, uh, it's freeing. I, I, I wanted women to know the story of that. Even though no one wants you, that shouldn't stop you. And being tenacious is not a bad word. It's a scary word. I have to admit that starting with Phoenix that I kept going back to these men that didn't want me, but I practiced all the advice they gave me, meaning I went out and did interviews on a tape recorder. And then if that person liked the interview, they would send me to somebody else so that I could show these general managers that I knew how to interview. Part of it was that I was nosy, curious, and I'm a woman. I mean, what can I say? I'm a woman, we like to talk. (laughs) Well, that we
0: do, we absolutely do. And I've got to tell you, I think that speaking of talking, part of that with our language has to do with reading. And I'd like to encourage all of the members of our audience to take a peek uh, the book that you will have coming out, nearly famous?
1: No no, 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 This is the book that's out. This is out, out. The new book doesn't even have a title. But that's right. That is right. I apologize. That is right. This is the story of, I was left destitute with two babies from my first divorce. And then it is the story of how I end up in Hollywood. And then some of the uh, interviews, they're not, they're just my comments about the people I interviewed, the bad ones, the good ones, you know, yes. Do I tell the story about looking at my watch? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I do. But the new book, which I'm working on, has no Yes, (laughs) That one I want to talk about too, because it's going to be
0: out soon. Um, I
1: haven't finished it.
0: No, but soon, meaning not 10 years down the road and not five years down the road. It's going to be out soon.
1: Yes, I'm trying really hard, though you were a great excuse because I decided, well, I have to put makeup on and get ready for this interview. I don't think I can write today. <laughs>
0: I, you know what? It's so funny because I love to write, and I will tell you there are times that I will make excuses or I just draw blanks, and I will. I do the same thing. I have a book that I need to publish myself, and I have been, I have been kind of putting it on the back burner. But let this be something for both of us, Reba, that we need to get on it and get everything moving to. Make the next chapter, pun intended, um, moving on for us because we have a lot to say. And I think the things that both of us have to share with people are going to definitely make an immense change for some and definitely a lot of insight for others. And I want to thank you so much for being with me today. I want to make sure the audience knows where they can get a copy of your famous Tales from uh, (laughs) Hollywood Trenches.
1: Yes. Well, hold that up
0: real close to the camera for me, please.
1: Okay. You can get it on Amazon or an ebook. And for the people that are listening to your podcast, why don't you pick whoever writes in and asks for the book, I will send them an autographed copy of the book. So all they have to do is write you or email you, you get the bulk of it, email you, we'll pick somebody and they can have a copy of the book. Has pictures. I love it.
0: I love it. I love it. This is exciting. And please make sure that you go to rebaMerrill.com. There's a lot of information about her there, what she's got going on, the different places that you can find her work. You, If you Google her name, you're going to find her all over anyway. But there's a lot of information, lots of things to find out. And I want to again thank you, Reba, for being with me today because you are an absolute inspiration. The things that you've done, the things, the molds that you have broken for all of us, and the inspiration that you've given the audience today. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. It was really my pleasure, Rebecca. And I'm so glad we met, even though we are meeting under this conditions. <laughs> I feel likewise. Like, and I'm so I'm thankful. For- Yes, for technology,
0: because otherwise it would take me probably forever to get to LA right now and there'd be a delay and I can just, here we are. So I absolutely love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to another episode of Rebecca Sounds Reveille. Please make sure to share this with all your friends, your family, relatives, co-workers, everyone you know, and those that you don't get this out there everywhere on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Again, Rebecca Sounds Reveille.